morning, everyone. Thanks for dragging yourselves out of bed so late in the festival for a morning session. This is a great turnout, and you all are in for a treat because we have some amazing visuals to show you today. There's a revolution happening in, you know, basically what people perceive to be the future of augmented reality that's been long delayed in terms of, you know, physical hardware that we could put on our bodies and wear, but now it's possible thanks to real-time engines to visualize what that future can look like at a very, very high level on top of broadcast. So if you've been watching any sports lately, um, you know, there's usually those, those really eye-catching moments that set LinkedIn on fire every time they drop. And there's a ton of work that goes behind the scenes to show those kinds of innovative augmented reality integrations of 3D in the world around us. So we're gonna dig into that and several other permutations of what this hybrid between live events and virtual events can look like in the near future. And so as a quick intro, uh, I'm just the moderator here, so I'm just soaking up the knowledge from these other awesome panelists, but I'm Brian. I'm a technical account manager at Epic Games focused on media and entertainment and how people are using Unreal Engine both to create linear content and real-time live content. And so here we have an amazing panel of Heather Shaw from Vita Modis, Eric Wagliardo from uh, Anpol is his company, and he's pretty much full-time on Coachella when it comes time to do the big lift of how are we going to innovate at each year's festival, and then Eric Beaumont from The Famous Group. And I'm going to save their individual intros because we're going to go through each of their... Um, um, first, I'm going to tee up a little bit of context around the lay of the land of what this looks like for XR Innovation Live Events. Then we're going to go through each of their company's specialties, see some amazing visuals from their past work, and then we're going to open it up to more philosophical discussion about where this is all going and what it means for the future of the fan experience. So I guess we'll dive right in. So this is what it's about. At the end of the day, you know, humans are social creatures, and we really want to enhance the experiences that we have by sharing them with others. And right now, when you go to these big events, you know, Coachella has 400,000 people on site over the course of a weekend, but another 10 million watching it on the live stream. So there's a lot of potential for how you integrate these experiences and make them unified, make everyone feel like a cohesive fan experience. And some of these augmented reality layers that are built in real time that can go across platforms are going to enable a more connected and cohesive experience for the fans. So first, I just wanted to lay out a little bit of the different permutations that this technology can take. And so um, on one axis, you have uh, virtual worlds and real worlds, which would be you know, on site at a festival or a sporting event. And then on the other axis, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you have on site and remote for being actually at the event versus viewing it from home. Um, but then virtual and real in terms of the assets and the content that you are consuming as a fan. And so first there's the main event, obviously real and on-site. That's the thing we've been experiencing as fans for a long, long time. And then there's a live stream. So the live broadcast, you know, on your TV set-top boxes um, is real, but allows you to consume the festival remotely. Now there's a big innovation in the last few years that has enabled broadcast AR. So you can actually overlay and real-time composite CG elements into those scenes and make them look as if they are part of the live stream. So people viewing remotely can experience a show on top of the show, which is really exciting and leads to some very compelling visuals. Um, there's headset augmented reality which is more of pass-through AR that we're still waiting on a killer device for, but it allows you to be on-site and access that same show on top of the show in a very you know, lean-back, experiential way. And so there's a lot of innovation yet to be done in that space, but that's going to be an important part of the spectrum. 
Mobile aug augmented reality is what's here today with us. And, you know, it allows, we've all experienced some AR kit or AR core apps that allow you to hold up your phone and get a little viewport into that space. That brings its own challenges with optimization, but it does provide scale. So it allows anyone who's on site at an event to be able to download, you know, assets in advance usually or stream them with if network connectivity allows and um, consume and be a part of that same experience. And then of course there's VR activations, which are often deployed on site, sometimes use the same assets, uh, but it's a more isolated experience where you know, you're not actually experiencing the real, you're mainly playing in that virtual space. And home VR, where you can deploy them on site at the events, usually with high-end systems, or you, know, you can put it on the Quest and anyone can download at home. And uh, there's another, you know, burgeoning innovation, which I'd be remiss as an Epic employee to not say that Fortnite is an amazing space for virtual concerts, um, but also very social at its core. And one of the amazing things about Fortnite as a platform is that, you know, with Fortnite Creative and all these innovative games outside of Battle Royale, we're seeing people just go there to hang out with each other and experience, you know, all kinds of different gameplay elements and music shows with iHeartland and these innovative islands that are launching together. And that's what, you know, knits these experiences and makes them uh, more special. And of course, you know, it's all powered by real time. So there are several game engines that can do it, but I'm partial to Unreal as like the very high end of visual content and, you know, allowing you to build CG assets in a way that match the photo reel to the actual real on-site experience. A lot of data layers in the stack that come together to enable these experiences. So I'm not going to dive into it too much because I think uh, these guys are better served walking you through every layer of that stack and how it comes together and the challenges involved. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's taken a lot of innovation in a lot of areas to set the underpinnings for some of the amazing visuals that you're going to see in a few minutes. And there are big challenges remaining, uh, especially for on-site. You know, these events are massively attended and network connectivity is a big issue. Um, you either need to download a large asset package in advance to be able to spin up all these 3D assets and experience them live on-site, or you need really fast bandwidth and network connectivity to be able to, you know, pixel stream on the fly if it's being processed remotely. Um, and a lot of these venues have very real challenges with tracking. So augmented reality is tougher technical problems to solve than virtual reality. And that essentially makes it a little further off with the fidelity of the experience. So these are all being tackled in various ways that they'll delve into in some of the case studies. Um, but just wanted you to be aware that, you know, these are still early days and there's going to be an incredible amount of innovation that goes into leveling up these experiences, making them more seamless, cohesive, and with intuitive user interfaces to access these portals into another world. And then ultimately, whether you're on-site physically or beaming in virtually, it's all about the social element. And so um, I think you know, we're gonna address that in the more open Q&A, but how do we keep deepening those layers of social interconnection for these types of events? So let's kick it off with live events, and who better to tee up that convo uh, than Eric, who's been working with Coachella for several years and has also done a lot of interesting live event innovations himself. Um, but how did you first get involved with Coachella, Eric? Do you want to give us a little rundown of your background? Uh, sure. So I think uh, a lot of the conversations with Coachella started out when we were looking at building virtual worlds during the pandemic, and we were looking a lot at all the amazing things that uh, people out in Hollywood were doing with uh, in-camera special effects uh, with the LED volumes for things like The Mandalorian. And so we were looking at how do we feel something like a summer concert series to uh, make sure that we're still reaching out to fans and engaging with fans even during the pandemic. And as we were doing that whole uh, deep dive into the technology, uh, we started to see that the, the doors were starting to open back up and that there was going to be uh, a, a you know, light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic. And uh, so we wanted to take all those learnings that we had uh, around virtual production and then see if we could try to field those uh, at the festival live, which was actually quite, quite an undertaking. 
Yeah, you, so you guys went big with the return in 2022. So I listed there like some of the touch points, but really <laughs> it seemed you guys just said, you know, what's innovative in the immersive space? Great, let's do it all. <laughs> yeah, so uh, last year was our first year for the Coachella Innovation Team. And so that was a very big year for us to try to look at a very broad spectrum of what, uh, what we kind of think of as the next iteration of the internet. And Can I know you that- explain the innovation team to people too? Absolutely. So uh, there's a core group of us who um, I would say work with a lot of our different sponsors who are also technology partners. And so these are different sponsors like Epic Games who have really amazing technology in their pipeline uh, in which uh, Coachella can be an amazing uh, chance to bring things to market and uh, to form really beautiful, amazing uh, fan experiences. And a big part of the uh, innovation team is just working out how can we keep Coachella at the forefront of innovation and innovating on the fan experience so it's always fresh. So I would say that's kind of the core mandate for the innovation team. Great. So we're going to show some visuals from the 2022 edition. And um, maybe like that list there is pretty much everything you guys did. So you took the approach of adopting multiple platforms at once and giving that same viewport into the, the Coachellaverse, right? The Met, the the show on top of the show um, through all these different channels. So do you want to maybe talk over the visuals as I'm playing them? Sure. Just explain a little context for people of what they're seeing. Absolutely. At at the bottom right, I'll point out, those are the Fortnite skins that went on sale in tandem with the festival (laughs) last year. And, and then a little glimpse of the AR up top. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we we're really looking at um, what we call transmedia storytelling as an opportunity for us to extend the festival experience beyond just the, uh, the, the grass of the polo fields. So we, we see that there's an interconnectivity between the live fan experience and then extending that much, much further to create a, a very large footprint. Um, like Brian was saying, the, the on-site crowd is absolutely massive, but the reach of things like the live stream is in the tens of millions. And so we want to make sure that uh, our global audience uh, can also tap into that richness that is a festival experience where you can become truly immersed in that uh, musical communal experience and have some kind of transcendent moment, even if you're sitting on the couch at home. And so a lot of what we're seeing here is absolutely the, the Fortnite uh, skins that we dropped last year. And we're looking forward to some very, very cool things for 2023. And then also doing some very fun mobile AR activations with Niantic and um, uh, with Meta and uh, Spark AR for uh, Instagram. And then the thing that I was uh, most uh, most involved with was our live stream and doing a, a live broadcast with Flume where we were able to bring a lot of that heavy-duty uh, Hollywood special effects to the live stream. And uh, that required a significant uh, infrastructure push. And this is something that we see as a multi-year uh, uh, endeavor where we're really trying to, on one side for fans, create uh, a, a world and a mythos, something that people can kind of fall in love with and become a part of, but also just look at where do we want to be in like five years, where hopefully at some point people will show up to the festival with AR glasses on their face, and then we've already got that infrastructure and knowledge and know-how to deliver a truly like uh, generational leap in concert visuals. So that's, that's very much what the Flume broadcast was more or less a, a proof of concept for. Cool. So let's show a little sizzle reel first and feel free to give some color commentary. Absolutely. So this is a, a bit of a teaser. So we had a lot of uh, marketing content that was intended to hype up uh, our Coachella verse last year. This year we're calling it the Mirage. And so we want to make sure that we have public facing language that helps people uh, get invested in and, and have fun with this idea of an extra digital layer on top of the festival experience. So uh, this content was very much uh, a teaser uh, foreshadowing things to come with the portals opening up, kind of giving a hint that there's another world out there. There's another layer that we're very excited to start bringing to the festival. And this is, this is definitely a multi-year approach for us and really just foreshadowing things to come. And on the left, you're seeing a little of the, the lenses yeah. you did, right? This is uh, the Spark AR uh, content for uh, mobile, or I would say social AR. So what does that add to the fan experience right now? So I think uh, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, you know, a modern-day festival without a selfie moment. So that was very much giving uh, our fans a chance to engage in uh, artwork from past festivals. And so what you're seeing are uh, um, 
pieces of uh, art installations from past Coachellas. And uh, a big part of the uh, Mirage theme for this year, we look at the festival as a platform for creative expression. And that platform is intended for uh, musical artists, visual artists, but also for the fans themselves to become uh, uh, co-creators in this magical moment uh, where everyone that joins in the fun can be uh, uh, participatory in that creative uh, adventure. Cool. So let's give a little glimpse of the high-end touch point, which was the Flume broadcast. So these were very much uh, surprise and delight moments where during Flume's performance, we were looking to uh, really add an unexpected layer where during the show, these like uh, giant parrots and, and imagery from the music video and from the show visuals themselves were very much uh, synchronized uh, as one. And so the, the audience at home uh, were not expecting this. And we were getting people lighting up on the chat, um, uh, like uh, Discord and, and Twitter, just asking like, is this real? What's happening? Is that like an inflatable? Did they fly in real trees? So this is definitely, definitely a fun moment. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. All right, let's move to Eric Beaumont and talk about integrating all this into broadcast. So similar to what Coachella pulled off with the live stream, but you guys are integrating into actual television broadcast channels, not over-the-top broadcast, So, which I imagine has some special considerations. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Eric Beaumont. My title is uh, Head of Mixed Reality, which also kind of defines my state of being. Um, especially here. So, yeah, what we do at the Famous Group, we're kind of a, we call ourselves a fan experience company. We cover a whole bunch of different things, but what we've become famous for, which, okay, company name, there you go, um, is our broadcast graphics stuff. And what might many of you might have seen is the uh, Panther that we did that ran around the stadium. If not, I'll be showing it. Um, what defines this is a little bit different. The technology we're using is very similar to what a lot of people, it's Unreal, it's Game Engine, we're doing kind of assets in the Game Engine. But we're doing live events, especially on television graphics. And if you're at the Super Bowl or you're doing a live sporting event, you have one button press. And it has to work 100% of the time. Now, if you're doing a game, you know, okay, maybe it works, maybe it crashes, guy lost his save game, whatever it is. It's not great, but it's not the end of the world. If you're at the Super Bowl and you hit it and it doesn't work, that's an issue. So, um, as I say, I live in a low-stress environment. Um, we're so I think, give you all a little uh, glimpse of that stress. Yeah, let's give. We... <laughs> yeah, do you want to skip over that one? Just do to go for the straight. Quick, quick, straight no, I think the... we should okay. show this. Okay, sizzle. so we'll show you a couple stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. The kind of things that we do, and then what I brought is a kind of behind the scenes of what it actually is like to be at one of these events and be that person pressing the button. So let's go for the uh, sizzle, and I'll explain a little bit about what we're doing. So these are the yeah so we've done uh, work for a lot of uh, sporting events across the US some of the biggest ones out there from Super Bowl to Daytona 500 we did the uh, Jackie Robinson we also do work for Paramount and MTV um, regularly all the shots of this um, it's not always about hero moments a lot of it is backgrounds enhancing an existing broadcast um, just adding a little bit of extra flavor set extensions Often the stuff we do is not even that visually uh, apparent, but it's just increasing the amount. Um, we do a lot of virtual signage stuff. So, hey, you have all of this free real estate in your broadcast. Why not use it for something? Uh, yeah, we got to dump thousands and thousands of gallons of virtual slime all over a football field. That was fun. Um, fly giant ravens around the place. We get to do fun stuff. Um, what unifies all of this is that we're telling stories. If you just do broadcast graphics AR and there's not a reason to do it, it almost always falls flat. You have to start with the story and then, then it makes sense. And so some of our best activations actually revolve around a small story. It doesn't have to be a novella, it's, you know, just a tiny little thing. But that catch is what makes it successful or not. So this is just a uh, glimpse behind the scenes of what it's like to be in broadcast graphics. So... Low stress. <laughs> so, and what's interesting about that is um, 
again, in terms of technology, often a lot of the times the stuff we're doing is not super complex compared to like a lot of these AAA games and what they're doing. Often, just for performance reasons, we have to be super conservative. Um, we can do amazing stuff in these engines, and Unreal does phenomenal things, but we have to hit 59.94 frames per second exactly every single frame. We cannot drop a single frame, right? If we drop single frames, that guy's yelling at me. So I have to be, you know, we have to be on point. If the tracking slips even once, everybody who's watching it or on Twitter later is going, oh, that was terrible. It was slipping. It was doing all sorts of stuff. So the level of accuracy means we have to be very, very conservative, which often means visually we have to be a little bit more cautious than we would otherwise be able to do. We also have to be very careful that, for example, occlusion. You may not have noticed, but the Panther was stomping all over people, all left, right, and center. It's because the graphics is always on top. We can't occlude properly. We can do it with architecture and static things, but not with mobile things like that. It's one of the things we're working towards, figuring out how we can possibly do that. But there's a lot of challenges. And there's always challenges in the environment. So if you want to just flip. I don't know if you have the next one. I'll talk through the... Oh, no, you, 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 you took out that. Okay, okay. So yeah. what we're talking about a lot is the... Things like, for example, we did a big activation for Gillette. Giant razor in the middle, we were showing the architecture of Gillette Stadium. You know, they're building it. We want to see how it was done. Uh, four hours before the show, the stadium blew out power. So we're there. We're sitting there, broadcast graphics, trucks ready to go. All of the power goes out in the stadium. And it's a live event. So we're going to wait for power to come back, power it up, crank out our tracking, get it ready. And then fog starts rolling in over the stadium thing. We're like, okay, how's AR going to work in fog? And so then we're working with fog shaders, trying to simulate some fog in there, get it in going. But that's what we have to, we are always reacting to what's happening there. It's always unexpected. But because it's this live event and it's context, we can't be changing the goalposts last minute. We can't delay. We can't do a beta version and then try it out. We have to be on point. So a lot of what we do is this flexibility of working with the environment that we're there and reacting on site to all of the craziness that's happening. Um, and that's sort of the skill set that we've built up over the time is to be able to manage no matter what comes at us, we'll figure out a way to make this show really, really cool uh, and dynamic and work with it on site. Thanks, Eric. So yeah, we'll circle back to deep dive onto some of the, <laughs> the case studies and the heart-pounding moments that you've experienced because <laughs> we've shared some good stories. Um, but I also want to talk about the virtual component um, because, you know, once you start building your assets for real time, like Coachella and the famous group are doing, you can also simulcast those into other platforms and allow people to experience them completely virtually or in some kind of hybrid environment. But it allows you to scale out the show so that it's beyond just the people who are watching on linear TV or even on site. And so, Heather, with that. I wanted to tee up an intro to Vita Modus, and I know you guys go well beyond just virtual events, but we're going to kind of build from your background in live events to how, you know, the, the need that you saw being filled by moving to virtual. Yeah, excellent. Um, so, yeah, we're Vita Modus Design Studio, and my name's Heather Shaw. I'm the CEO and founder of Vita Modus and Vitaverse, which we'll show you a little bit about. Um, Vita Modus is a concept design studio, so we thrive in that space where we're coming up with new and innovative ideas for our clients. So we put together some visuals to kind of show you how that manifests in the physical space. Um, we are uh, predominantly in uh, the entertainment space, production design for um, a lot of TV shows, concert touring stages, festival structures, and festival environments. Um, we generally like to push the limits of engineering and budget and feasibility, uh, especially in our phase one. We really try to think outside the box and bring something to our clients as well as the audience, um, bring them into a place they've never been before so we can really take them out of their real life and blur the lines of reality um, together with them and really figure out how we can um, just break the mold for each one of them. We've done a lot at Coachella, so we've uh, you know, worked with Pharrell and Cascade and Amon Tobin at Coachella, and a lot of the do-lab structures at Coachella we've um, fabricated and built with them. Um, you know, in our normal everyday process, we're in design coming up with wild and crazy ideas, and we put that very quickly into Rhino for our sculpting and um, creative uh, process, and then we put everything into Unreal just as 
a piece of that um, a piece of that communication journey. So we can take Shakira into her stage um, in VR before we fabricate it, or we can bring the real-time rendering to our fabricators before they start cutting wood, and really just um, using it as a communication tool. So we've lived in this physical space for quite some time, and only thought that was our product until a couple of years ago, we started diving into all the assets we had in Unreal and what we could really do with them and how we could bring our audiences into those spaces. So some of what we'll show you is how we how we executed that in, um, in the last couple of years and what we built to really kind of put that through. Chulet, we're gonna show some of these clips later. So yeah, we we'll, we'll skip on. Yeah, so then this is an example of one of those spaces. Um, the reality, so this is, we call it render to reality. The reality is in the bottom corner. This is a stage five at EDC, at Electric Daisy Carnival in Las Vegas. Uh, we do the base pod stage. So we've designed and fabricated that one up three years in a row. Um, we had it in engine and we just started looking at what we could do. This was just a test, an internal test of how we could start using our assets. So the video is of our... Well, these are our space monkeys, is what we call them, um, inside of the engine. And we started messing with real-time events in the space. So this is Darla. She's DJing from her living room um, at the top of an anti-gravity base pod, which is a dream in the physical space when we're building. Um, so she's there from Tennessee, real-time, just using an iPad inside of Unreal. And then we had the guys who create content for our live show in these... LED walls, they're not 16 by nine. They are in India, so they were activating the walls live inside of the game real time. The lighting um, designer was in Florida and he was activating the lights in the scene live from Florida and then cameras were in LA and he was activating cameras in LA. And so we had this whole front of house team working from remote locations to create a live event in the space, which was really entertaining and it was fun for us just like creating this event but we felt like it was still content for consumption. It still wasn't interacting with live audiences the way we really wanted to. So we thought, okay, we're creating these live, live tools here. Why don't we take those tools and point it towards the audience? So then what we, um, what we started doing is taking more of our designs So this next um, piece is lightning in a bottle stage. We've worked with lightning in a bottle in the do lab for the last 15 years, helping design structures and, and installing structures. A lot of these have been at Coachella as well. And this was during the pandemic, right? They couldn't do real lightning in a bottle, so they had to do the virtual edition? They had to do virtual edition uh, during the pandemic. So we took all of our models we already had in Unreal and we put them all in a landscape so we could have this virtual landscape for them for the, for the pandemic. And we did digital lightning in a bottle in the space. We took one of the stages that had already been executed at their festival, and then we created a, a, a virtual event using some of the new tools. So we took this as the stacks, and we did a, a live event in the stacks with them as audience members using some of the technology that we have um, created. So this is um, bringing people in as themselves and not avatars into the space uh, for real-time audience interaction. Some DJs want to be avatars, some just want to hang out in virtual worlds with themselves. Some want to be real and unique spaces. So that led you to an opportunity, right? Yeah, so then once we created those tools, we thought, okay, then let's create um, a platform where we could utilize those when tools. When we take so a leap forward, everything right. gets oh, better, even extraordinary. Welcome to the next phase of digital evolution, the Vitaverse. Now you and your crew can go live and stream together, all broadcasting from the same digital dance floor. You'll shake it while epic artists provide live music and entertainment. You think dancing on TikTok is fun? Wait till you try this. Navigate to vitaverse.io to see who's playing. Choose your adventure, watch the performance, or even better, be part of it. Buy a ticket for a specific pod with your favorite people. Download the Vitaverse app and you're ready to go. Once inside the 3D venue, enjoy the show through a computer or television while the phone camera captures your live footage and teleports you into the digital verse. 
you'll hang out with friends via real-time audio chat as yourself without the need for an avatar stand-in or keyboard controls. With endless opportunities to explore the world, you can move between pods to search for your squad or meet new people. Don't just watch the show, be a part of it. Join us as we blaze our way into the future of gaming and entertaining. So we're really trying to bridge the gap, bridge this like hardware gap with using your phone to capture you, brings you into Unreal. And we have a pixel streamed environment that you can be in with your friends and find your friends and jump through, jump through the world while there's a show happening and really try to get people able to socialize as themselves. We're really focused on authenticity and not hiding behind the keyboard and being uh, being proud to be yourself and seeing what where we can um, you know tap into um, people's passions for music and live entertainment uh, from a home entertainment standpoint. Yeah. Cool, thanks. So I wanted to now that we've teed up these separate touch points for how people are accessing the virtual worlds at events, talk about putting them all in a blender and mixing them all up and how are we moving in the future towards making this more of a cohesive whole. Um, so we'll do kind of an open debate here, hopefully, you know, get some differing opinions and thoughts on the future. Um, but first, Heather, you had mentioned that you really see like an opportunity to bring Vitaverse back even into the live broadcasts now, right? So I'll bring up some visuals and maybe you want to touch on that. Yeah, sure. Oh, that's forward. Hmm. I'm going to give it a little. <laughs> Wrong order. There we go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're really excited about looking at how we can um, bring it into broadcast and live broadcast. So, for example, we designed this is just a case study. We designed the VMAs, the stage design last year for MTV. And um, as as it goes, we have it already in Unreal. We have the product already in the game engine. And so we're, you know, not too many steps away from bringing it into Vitaverse and being able to have a kind of hybrid event where there's a digital double at home for your broadcast and you can come into that and have live communication with people um, and meet new people and also have interesting VIP upgrades, backstage experiences live with the artists using the same phone um, capture device, but also anything we can bring into Unreal, and this is still you know, a case study and challenging, we can use as an AR layer over the broadcast. So when we're designing the stage, there's always, you know, the Prudential Center is not very big. And when we create scenic, we're blocking views. So we have to cut out a lot of seats. We cut out a lot of ticket prices. And uh, it makes it so that they're not making as much money. And there's new verticals, new revenue verticals for this at-home experience uh, at a premium or at a low ticket price. So especially as we head into these harder times where not everyone can pay $500, $600 tickets for events, there can be this new place where people can go and experience together at a lower price point, but also then overlay it over the broadcast. So there's a lot more energy, a lot more live audience, and you can see the global audience in the live broadcast. That's so cool as a fan to be able to have the opportunity to like pop into your favorite event, right, on the broadcast stream. On the broadcast stream. So yeah, we'll touch on some of the technical challenges, but going back to the beginning here, all right, so you guys are the experts in the space. You've been, you know, you got skin in the game. You've bled for getting these projects over the line. Where is it going next? How are these real world events and live events and then the virtual ones going to merge or overlay on top of each other? I think the one thing that we found is, I mean, like so many things, this COVID nonsense, um, pandemic horrifying thing, um, changed a lot. So we learned a lot of lessons from it. And I think some of those, thankfully, are going away, and some of those are here to stay. And um, one of the lessons we had to do is, so we worked with the WWE, um, and they wanted, to do, they wanted to do something during COVID, but they can't have a huge audience and fans sitting in the, you know, uh, the WWE audiences specific. So um, they wanted to do a uh, virtual event. So what we did is we figured out how to do very similar to what you're talking about, was bring in a virtual audience. And we were bringing in 10,000 live streams and uh, putting it in this uh, 3D space and all that. And that's really cool. But this is on live television, and it's the WWE audience. And you have 10,000 people. What and could go wrong? 
things get real interesting real fast. And so we had to build a really comprehensive set of moderation tools. And that's where we learned so many lessons that, hey, just putting people into an event, it's, it's not the same as in the real world. When you're in a virtual event or hybrid event, there's a whole bunch of additional layers you need. You don't have burly security men ready to drag somebody out that's taking their clothes off. So um, we had to have the digital equivalent of that, and we built very, very large moderation tools that were very, very fast, because if you're doing a virtual event and you're seeing yourself, um, the response has to be immediate. If you do this, and yay, and then four seconds later, you see yourself on television doing that, there's a bit of a disconnect, right? So it has to be fast, it has to be immediate. I have to feel like I am there, I'm part of this. Um, but then we need the tools at the back end to go, oops, get that person off air really, 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 really fast. And so that's what we've started building out and finding that stuff is here to stay and that's gonna be useful as we move forward. And this combination of bringing people in remotely and giving them that feel of, hey, I'm part of this. This is a joint experience. That's really, really important. But there's a whole nother layer that has to be built and is being built to support all that. And it's not just as simple as taking some avatars and having people dance around because people in avatars tend to misbehave, as we've all learned, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I think from, from our perspective as well, like we're looking at building those infrastructures and that back end, uh, so that hopefully one day when we look to field uh, a festival, then we can start to offer these kind of tools to uh, any artist that wants them on the Coachella main stage, not just, uh, not just the main stage actually, but in any of the stages at Coachella. And uh, that actually requires quite a significant amount of infrastructure. So we're looking at what kind of hardware, what kind of technology, what kind of uh, manpower and crew do we need to start to build tools and uh, templates and things that are uh, replicable and things that we can operationalize. Because there's a lot of buzzwords, but I think we're also looking at how do we, how do we go from that uh, prototype and start to expand it out to something that uh, any artist that wants to express themselves with this kind of uh, technology uh, can uh, have that ability to have a new paintbrush uh, to start to tell their stories with. So I think that's uh, one of the interesting challenges we're trying to expand on. Uh, but then also to think a couple more years in advance where uh, what other type of at-home experiences can we start to bring to the table where uh, we're using assets that are uh, interoperable for mobile, broadcast, and uh, new mediums, uh, wearables like VR and AR. So I think that's, uh, those are the kind of challenges we're uh, trying to look forward to uh, where we're looking at uh, a post-post-pandemic world where we've seen this kind of like rush back to the real world. And then we think there will be a little bit of a settling out where things will kind of go back to normal. But I think kind of like Eric was saying, um, some things are here to stay. And we think uh, some of those digital behaviors are also going to be uh, here to stay. Uh, but it'll be a mixed bag. It'll be uh, a bit of both. Agreed. Yeah, and you know, we're really excited to know that festivals like Coachella are working on those tools because as designers, our phase one is always unbuildable. It's always too big. It's always like beyond uh, viability. And in our phase two, we get viable and it gets smaller and it gets shorter and it gets in budget. And with some of these tools, we'll be able to s extend the set and not just use AR maybe as, as content extension, but as set extension that's more permanent in the, in the scene when you're cruising through Coachella and you can you know, really extend uh, our creative, which is super exciting. In other words, we all agree, and this is not a debate. You need to work harder, Brian. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were trying to decide who was going to be back off on this talk. <laughs> yeah, we need a bad cap. We'll get there. We'll get there. Heather, you've designed a ton of physical stages, and then you were designing them, you know, in a real-time environment, or at least bringing them in for visualization. So what have you learned about the design principles that translate now to doing these virtual events? Yeah, you know, it's definitely, when we design in Rhino and bring it into Unreal, it's always very expensive or heavy. The model is super heavy mesh, and it's absolutely not viable to bring it right into AR or even pixel streaming. So. Um, we have development partners, some of who are here, um, which is very exciting, and they help us optimize because on, on, the, on the regular we need engineers and fabricators, so we, we get help to optimize the scene, and once it's optimized, we can then share it around. And it's interesting to go from the digital to the physical and then back into the digital and see how we can utilize it. Yeah, and the devil's in the details when you're working in real time. For those who aren't as familiar, like it, it really is dependent on the hardware you have to run it. 
So there are challenges in scaling the same assets that you would put on a live broadcast with the highest end GPUs onto you know, a mobile handset so that anyone in the audience can pull it up and look at it in a festival environment. Those are two very different chipsets trying to run the same like high end graphics. Um, so I think that's another opportunity for innovation is like the back end tools to ingest assets and spit them out to various platforms at the right quality um, so that you can scale your show according to the, you know, the CPU and GPU power you have behind you. <laughs> what do you think are some touch points where the virtual and live audiences can actually interact? And, and what makes the fan experience better once they can? I'll just start off. Um, one of the things I like to start off, what's the whole point of a live event? Why are we doing this? Um, a live event is a shared experience. It's something where we are all unified under one, one group identity. We all belong here. I see you, you see me. It's, it's a shared experience. That's really, really important. Um, right now, virtual experiences have a very, very hard time getting that, there's terms for it, empathic resonance, limbic resonance, whatever you want to call it, but that feeling of shared mutual experience. They have a very hard time communicating that or replicating that feeling. So I can be in a virtual audience, but it's not quite the same as if I'm here and we're sitting in the same room. Um, and I think cracking that nut is what actually makes the virtual experience replicate the usefulness of a live event. Um, and I think that's also why live events won't go away. Because uh, it's going to take us a long time to figure out how to create that social feeling, that social context that, that is so important. Um, and I think that what we can do right now is enhance that feeling that's already existing. We can create tools to make that social context easier, better, extend it. But we're still working, and we have a long way to go to completely replicate that in virtual. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's sort of the big hurdle that I see for a lot of these things, and, and that people often think, hey, if I do it virtually and I make it graphically sexy enough, everybody will think it's amazing. Um, but I think that's not the case uh, necessarily. Yeah. Eric, I wanted to set up some context for you because we talk about that, how, well, the flip side of that, the inverse of what you were saying is sometimes people at the live event right now don't even know how much cool stuff is going on in the virtual layer. So with the Flume thing that we showed, like nobody on site at the festival knew that that was part of the live stream. So how do we give even the live audience a feed into the cool show on top of the show? Yeah, I think there's some very simple uh, technologies that I think you guys are already deploying where, uh, sorry about that. Uh, the, uh, uh, there's a, a bit of an issue if you try to do the AR and you're pointing at the big screens, uh, you'll start to see that uh, echoing, repeating pattern. Uh, so you could very simply uh, put a graphic overlay on top of the screen so that uh, the at-home crowd is seen a different version, uh, but then be able to uh, let the at-home crowd see all the additional graphics on the screen. So it becomes one more way of compositing uh, video uh, for uh, concert visuals. But I think for us, uh, we're looking forward to that day when fans have the, the hardware in their hands to be able to experience that. We're so far away from that. I was actually going to reply uh, about uh, a bit of a personal journey, and then maybe we can yeah. come back to that. Um, Part of what got me into a lot of this uh, new media uh, AR, VR kind of world uh, was, was VR. I'm able to put on those glasses and have a stereoscopic experience that to me very much created a sense of presence that I don't think I'd experienced before in like the 30 you know, some odd years of my computing experience. And that immediately gave me this kind of empathy for uh, the characters I would experience in those virtual worlds. But then as we tried to try to expand that out to be more communal, uh, it became incredibly difficult to invite other people into that space with you. And so uh, one of the things that we did um, four or five years ago was create a, a shared augmented reality music video for Childish Gambino. And one of the things that we were demonstrating was uh, allowing multiple people to uh, join into that augmented reality experience together uh, and to co-locate. So if you were looking at this uh, virtual version of Donald, uh, I could see him, you could see him, and we could be hearing the same music at the same time. But if I looked at my friend, they were just this glowing orb of sparkly energy, and there was definitely no empathy there. And so I kept asking myself, okay, well, how do we, how do we get that same level of immersion that I was seeing in VR into an experience that I can do with my friends? And I really do think that in order for this technology to be transformative, 
we're going to have to have a generational moment where kids are falling in love to music inside of a space like this, where it's additive in a way that uh, people in previous years hadn't, the way that MTV affected my generation or the way cassette tapes and mixtapes or, you know, cruising in a car was part of the dating experience, you know, and that music was intertwined with that. I think we have to get to that level of uh, shared experience. And so I think uh, we're definitely looking at how to uh, intertwine those kind of connections so that everyone can experience it together and it becomes a shared uh, visual experience. And to me, that's the real uh, nut we're trying to crack. What's a cassette tape? A cassette tape? <laughs> I don't know, but my dad said they're cool. <laughs> we're going to have to go a bit to a lightning round for the rest of these. Um, so maybe like one person can jump on each one because we want to, we, we're saving time for something that we're going to do live and we'll see if it works at the end here, a special treat. So how do we democratize access to the technology? Eric, maybe you can speak on that. Yeah, so lightning round version. So for us, uh, because hardware is not quite there, and because uh, it, a use case uh, for we've done mobile AR experiences uh, on top of a concert where you pull your phone out uh, with Eminem a couple of years ago at Coachella. And um, the, the hardware uh, is just so battery intensive to do mobile AR. The last thing you ever want to have happen at a music festival is for your phone to die. And you can't find your friends. You can't get an Uber at the end of the night. You might have to walk two miles back to your, your tent or your house. So uh, I think uh, for us, just being able to have that level of uh, uh, special effects and, and extra-worldly production value on the live stream was that, that version that, that skipped over the hardware limitations. And how about on the creator side? Because creating this 3D content is hard, right? So how can we make it easier for them? Uh, well, we're definitely looking at tools. I think on a very simple level, like how do you create best practices and templates so that you can take uh, whatever learnings you have, whether it's pre-visualization or different uh, processes, and then take them and package them for reuse over and over again. So I think at the very fundamental level, creating repos and paying things forward and just starting to learn from uh, best cases and, and, and use cases. What's the something more we can give at home? Any thoughts on this one, Heather or Eric? Whoever wants to jump in? I mean, I think community, like figuring out or helping people feel that empathy and the authenticity and being able to um, give a really simplified platform that can allow people who aren't maybe gamers or tech savvy to um, enjoy it and be able to build communities around passions, I think can help um, you know, educate people about spatial web 3D experiences. Um, and, you know, I really feel like that, that community is what um, can, can build um, new and innovative products. So, community. <laughs> and what is the value and monetization potential of brands engaging in this? So, you know, the stories are important, like you said, Eric. Mm -hmm. But what's driving a lot of this industry innovation right now is the brands actually right. wanting to do it. So what are they getting out of it? That seems squarely directed at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, what you saw in our showreel, a lot of the stuff is brands doing stuff, whether it's Gillette um, or it's uh, a Chipotle uh, burrito bowl getting eaten by a giant hand or, um, you know, whatever it is, those are brands. And even if it's just a panther running around in sports, I mean, that's still a brand. Um, what it does is it creates a very unique moment for that brand that's a very, uh, it's a storytelling, but you're crafting that story around the brand. Now, that can go horribly wrong, too. Don't get me, you know, it's, it's if you take something, a story that does not match the environment you're in, uh, then there's a disconnect and people go, what were they doing? Why did they do that? That makes no sense. But if the story works together, and that's kind of what we do is help craft that, is make that story, then it's a unique opportunity for a brand to present itself in the context of this other environment. And that creates a whole brand identity linking moment. And of course, then the earned media, et cetera, et cetera, afterwards is, is not to be uh, to think. But you know, a lot of these activations we do actually run in ad television advertising slots. So the broadcaster will go do advertising, but then instead of showing a typical TV ad, they just go back to the stadium, do this brand moment. They're paying the broadcaster as if it were a television advertisement, and nobody's the wiser. And that's perfect. It is an advertising moment, but it's different. People are out of that mindset of, oh, I'm watching yet another XYZ commercial. So I'm in a different mindset, and it sticks a little bit more, and it's not necessarily 
don't want to call it hokey, right? It's something that can be cool and fun and, and sort of give a little bit of a different flavor to the whole thing. And I think that's really the, the power of it. Yeah, you guys have definitely landed on that formula of like water cooler moments, yeah, at least right. on LinkedIn the Monday after a premiere. <laughs> and I think if I could uh, follow up on yeah. that one, um, you guys may or may not have noticed a little hot air balloon floating in the back of some of the, the visuals that we show. But when we were um, having our conversations with uh, YouTube, who is our broadcast partner, they wanted to have their logo uh, in the air moments, but they didn't. They were like, we're cooler than that. We don't want to just plop our logo into the scene. And so we had this little hot air balloon floating in the back with a, a YouTube logo across it. And so that was a very simple uh, way to try to in, uh, implement their logo in situ, but also uh, try to uh, up the production value. So to actually field and fly a hot air balloon out in the desert in India uh, is problematic. And to be able to frame that up to get the perfect shot, we had uh, infinite control over the usage of that balloon and were able to make it look as though it was actually real. And so I think that combination of control, production value, made it a, a high value add. So the final slide, and I'll jump to some more context. Uh, we talked about that, but where do we go from here? So how do we bring all of these components and all the areas of innovation that are yet to be created and give, like, what is the end goal of all of this experimentation in your mind? Interactivity. I think we have to make it interactive and bidirectional. If it's a consumer media, you're just sitting there and you're watching it, we're missing 90% of the fun and, and coolness of it. So for us, like making the Panther controllable, get a game controller and make it run around the stadium or whatever, have fans be able to control it. That's a simple low-hanging fruit, but we can go, oh, man, these are game engines. Unreal is a game engine. You can do such cool stuff with it. You can make it bidirectional. You can make it interactive. You can make it dynamic. That's what we should be doing. Um, yeah. and, and I couldn't agree more. And I think that bi-directionality, I, I know we're supposed to be disagreeing at some point, but no, it's like, I think, we all agree. Yeah, I think that bi-directionality for me, uh, when you start to expand on that, then you can ask uh, what kind of human connections can be formed from that. Exactly. And then once you can start to move beyond that technical limitation, you can start to look at uh, what new forms of human emotion and connectivity and, and storytelling uh, can you get out of that. 100%. So I disagree. Nice, finally. Yes. <laughs> I, I actually feel like there's, there's no end goal. It's always kind of evolving for us. So Vita Modus means life vibrations, and it was about finding all of the design that, that in the world around us and going with the flow and being able to um, look at the evolution of things. And something that really inspires us is the evolution of technology and the Moore's Law curve, or not curve, but the the evolution of technology and how it's expanded our art. And I really see that evolution of technology parallels the evolution of our art. And so as that is growing, we always want to see the opportunities in it and constantly find new reaches and new goals. And so there is no end goal. It's keep going. <laughs> so, so Love we that. Don't, we don't disagree is what you're saying. <laughs> no, no, no. Heather wins. Heather wins for disagreeing. All right. Well, it wouldn't be an innovation in live events panel if we didn't try something live. So for better or worse, here we go. Let's just wrap up. I think we can all agree that the future is augmented in some form or another.